Hello, everyone. One of the biggest ways that we can care about wildlife, that we can help conservation, is by choosing foods that are more environmentally friendly, more sustainable. I've talked in the past about vegan diets. I've talked about something really specific, palm oil. And today, I wanted to talk about sustainable seafood. Now, I am vegan. Even though I advocate for a plant-based diet, a vegan diet, I, I am mostly that, but I do have, I do eat seafood, which is the, the P part of the vegan, and P stands for pescatarian. And as you may or may not know, the fisheries industry can have a huge negative effect on ocean life. You probably heard of sea turtles and dolphins and other cute marine species getting captured in fishing nets or lines that were left. So I've been wanting to talk about this for a while to make sure that the food that I'm eating is the most sustainable. I invited Jackie Marks on of the Marine Stewardship Council, and we talk all about sustainable seafood, what you need to know, what the MSC label stands for. We talk about the latest documentary, Sea Spiracy, which has actually gotten scientists really mad. We'll talk about why, what they got right, what they got wrong. And at the end, we have a conversation about science communication and how she got to her role at the Marine Stewardship Council. So so I hope you enjoy this interview. It was so much fun to have Jackie on. Before we get started, I just wanted to talk about a new program that I am running, and I need some founding members to help me co-create this project. It is for kids around ages of 8 to 12 and their parents, and the goal of this program is to get outside, get connected to nature, and get them learning about wildlife and nature by using real wildlife biology activities that we do as scientists so that they can learn about science, the process of science. It's so often in school, you're just you're just memorizing facts or just learning about animals, like what's this part called and what this animal does. But in this program, kids are really going to be learning what science is, and this will help them become more informed and more critical thinkers as, as citizens when they grow up. A big component of this program is to also get kids outside so we can get them off of their devices and interacting in nature which provides so many mental health, physical health benefits. I know that parents out there are struggling with what to do with their kids since the pandemic. Well, this program has got you covered. We're going to come up with really fun activities for kids to do. If you can't always go outside, that's okay. We're going to have virtual activities as well, virtual alternatives. We are going to interact as a group. You're going to interact with me as a scientist. I am just so excited for this program. So if you're interested, just head over to fancyscientist.com and you should see a tab for Kids Wildlife Program. You can sign up there and get some more information. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jackie. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So you are from the Marine Stewardship Council, and this is this is something that I am super interested in. The Marine Stewardship Council is all about sustainable seafood. So can you tell us a little bit about the organization and what they do? Absolutely. So the Marine Stewardship Council is an international nonprofit organization, and our mission is basically to end overfishing. And we do this in really in two ways. There's a lot that goes you know, beneath that, but there's two things that we, we predominantly do, and they are certifications. So we set the standard for what sustainable fishing is, you know, what it looks like to be fishing sustainably. And that is something that fisheries can achieve or attain. And then the other side of that is for the supply chain. And we have a certification for for brands, businesses, retailers, and so forth called chain of custody. So these two things are a way for the market to be involved in basically determining, you know, prioritizing sustainability when it comes to seafood and fisheries. And when we talk about sustainable seafood and sustainable fishing, you know, the question is, what exactly does that mean? And right. the perfect. <laughs> and why um, do we need it? Why, do, why, why does sustainable fishing exist? Yeah, it's, it's so important. You know, we want to make sure that fisheries are healthy. Seafood is around for generations to come. That's really what it comes down to. And then we're keeping the ocean healthy so that we really have the system that is producing, you know, long, long, long into the future. And so sustainable fishing, the way that the MSC defines it based on our standard is we're really looking at three things. We're looking at the health of the population or the stock of the fish. We're looking at ecosystem interactions or just making sure there's no impact or lasting damage to the ecosystem. And then the third one is, is management. So making sure that there's a management system in place to, you know, if there's changes to the environment, changes to the fishery, just changes happening, there's a lot of responsive uh, management in place in order to address those things. So those are the three things that effectively define sustainable fishing for uh, the MSC. So what are those ecosystem impacts of non-sustainable fisheries? Like what are the bad things that can happen? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things. Two of them are the the actual habitat itself. So, you know, is it causing damage to the substrate? Is it causing damage to reefs, you know, the seabed floor, that type of thing? And then the other one is also interactions with other animals. So this is where bycatch comes into play. You know, is is it is it harming other animals, you know, what is its interaction with other species and so forth. So, you know, that is an area that is taken into account when it comes to making sure that they're not just catching the target species, but they're also limiting target of non-target species, limiting catch of non-target species. And that's where like, like the dolphin safe tuna originally came in. Is that still a thing? Are dolphins still threatened by the, the tuna industry? Do we need to look for that label anymore? It's a good question. You know, we there's there's been some confusion about dolphin safe label on MSC. That's not the label that we that we own. But it, I think it, you know, in the United States, it's definitely something that has sort of become the standard. You know, harming dolphins is definitely not part of the op- natural operations of fisheries. So looking for that label is is important. I think you know to make sure that at least here in the U.S. it's sort of standard, you know, that's not going to happen, but that's not true for some other countries. We just don't know what the standards are in other countries. But you know, it's it's, there will be, you know, where there are tuna, there are dolphins. So it is something important to look for, especially if that's something that's important to you. Mm -hmm. But the MSC certifications goes beyond that, I'd imagine, beyond the the just dolphin safe? Yes, it includes Mm -hmm. dolphin safe. It definitely, because of that 
that principle mm-hmm. two that I was talking about, which is ecosystem impacts, it looks into that. So what are the what are the impacts on dolphins? What are the impacts on turtles? What are the impacts on seabirds? But it does go beyond that. So we're we're talking about again the sea seabed, the seafloor, all, you know, a lot of different issues relating to how fishing activity is taking place. And when you talk about fisheries, like what, what does it look like? Are we talking about like, like locals on like their own private boat fishing or these like large scale industrial operations? It can be all of the above. And I'm glad you asked this. There's sort of two parts to this question too, because what is a fishery? First of all, you know, a lot of people, mm-hmm. we, we talk about fisheries all day long. And I think the average American doesn't know what that is, uh, which is fair. And so when we talk about fisheries, we're talking about a very specific grouping of fish. So, you know, there's, you can think about like a species as a whole. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this specific group of fish that is caught by this specific group of boats. So it's very, very specific. You know, it's, it's in this location, it's caught by these people. And so it's, it's very targeted to the, the group of fish that we're talking about. So that's the first part of it. And the second part of it is it's, it's, it can be small boats, it can be large boats. It's really not prescriptive. It's not, you know, it's, it's not sort of a one size fits or it is sort of a one size fits all in that any fishery or any group of fish or fishermen that want to consider whether they meet the standard can be, can, can be assessed against their standards. So there are artisanal fisheries. There's one in India, for example, where people, they like search for clams and it's very hands-on process. And then there's large fisheries, for example, the Alaska Pollock fishery, which is one of the largest um, sustainable fisheries in the world. And they have a very large, um, boat and it doesn't mean necessarily that they, they can catch more but they can process on the boat so it's really it, it, it's you know it's from small to large and so what do you think about people saying like we shouldn't eat seafood at all because of the damage that it causes to the environment what's your argument against that you know, I think it's it's totally fair for someone to make that judgment on their own, but it's really difficult to make that kind of statement and and requirement for people across the board. Two two main reasons. One is the the fact that you know billions of people rely on seafood for their main source of protein, and a lot you know the billions of people also require seafood for their livelihoods. So taking that sort of taking seafood away from, you know, as a food choice for people is damaging both from sort of a food security angle, but also from an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I, I think if, if someone wants to make that decision on their own, that's one thing, but asking people to do it broadly across the board is very difficult. Yeah. Like I was thinking about times when I traveled to developing countries and like being alongside the coast and just so many people, you know, eat what comes from the sea. And it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't think it's under, I don't think it's realistic to tell everyone to stop eating fish, but yeah, you're right. It is, it is a personal decision. And I always tell people to go more vegan, but if they do eat meat or fish, I actually do eat fish to make sure it's sustainable. And and so that's something that I always look for is the MSC logo. And I, I, when I've been grocery shopping, I usually shop at Whole Foods, (laughs) it doesn't sound like a snob. And 
I used to only see it there. And actually that was a big reason why I went to Whole Foods is because I felt pretty confident that their seafood was more sustainable. Although I have heard a couple of things about it, but I am starting to see it more in regular grocery stores when I, when I go there. Can you, can you talk about what it's been like to work with other brands or other corporations and how, how you get them on board with, with doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Whole Foods is, you know, they're a market leader for a lot of reasons, and they have their own very strict standards for for what they do, what they search for when they're they're sourcing. So, you know, they've they've done a really excellent job, and they really are a great place to look for sustainable seafood in all forms, fresh, frozen, canned, and even pet food and supplements. So, but you know, I think Whole Foods you know, they're sort of the guiding light, but they are definitely not the only leaders in this space. We have Walmart, for example, they made some really strong commitments to sustainable seafood several years back. And, you know, what I think what's important about talking about Walmart is we're talking about Walmart in conjunction with Whole Foods is it is all across all price points. So, you know, even if we do go to Whole Foods, you know, it's, it's not just sort of Sustainable seafood isn't just this highbrow thing, you know, it really is affordable, it's accessible, it is available at Walmart, you know, which has great distribution across the country, and it's all the stores in between. So, you know, if you go to a Giant or Safeway or Stop and Shop, CVS, you know, just to name a few, it really is across the board. So we, you know, we have a great team that works with a lot of our commercial partners, like the mm-hmm. Whole Foods and Walmart of the world, and working with them to, to really understand what the benefits are of certification. And also working with them on the communication side, which is where I work, to understand what it is that the consumer wants. We do some consumer surveys every two years, and that's a good way for us to get a bead on what consumers care about. And one of the things is looking for third-party certifications. This is what we found mm-hmm. as a result of some of our, our GlobeScan testing. And so, you know, know, that certainly helps our cause, but we're, we're doing this to show that we're actually making an impact and the consumer is asking for these things. So, you know, we're seeing that sort of our, our theory of change and our market mechanism is, is working. That's great. I didn't know that about Walmart. So, so if I go to Walmart and buy fish, it's all, it's all MSC uh, certified. MSC. Yeah. I said MSC. (laughs) It's the end of the day here. I'm a little crazy. <laughs> here as well. It's not all MSC certified, but you'll see the MSC Bluefish label on a lot of different products, especially in their canned aisle. They made a big commitment last year to make sure that all their tuna is MSC certified or coming from a time-bound FIP, which is a fishery improvement project. And that's basically a fishery that wants to demonstrate that it's more sustainable and is on the path to becoming certified, but isn't quite there yet. So, so Walmart made this big commitment and, and actually met their goals last year. That's great. Shoot. What was I going to ask? Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to talk about when you're talking about how consumers want it to be easy. That's exactly how I wanted it to be because <laughs> I have the Monterey ba- Bay app. I don't know if you use it or maybe you can recommend a better app, but I would go to restaurants and like you look up the fish and a lot of menus don't provide that much information. Even when you're grocery shopping, sometimes it's really hard to find the information and you look up, you know, like one species of fish and there's like 10 different pictures of the fish. And like, it depends on like the method that they are using to fish and the area of the world that they're caught. And sometimes like the area of the world that they're processed. And it's, I understand they're trying to be helpful, but it's, it's really confusing. And as a consumer, it's, 
it's awkward to like ask the waiter sometimes or the server sometimes, and sometimes they don't know as well. So that is, is super helpful. Do you, do you have any comments on, on that app or any better apps to help people with seafood? You know, I, I don't have any seafood apps now that I think about it. <laughs> I probably should, but maybe in this line of work, I, I don't really look for that. I think Seafood Watch has done an amazing job of mm-hmm. really raising awareness about what fish to eat or what fish not to eat. They really have been so instrumental in the space when it comes to people making their seafood choices, which is so important. So just to clarify, there's two, you know, there's two separate things when we talk about sort of, we talk about seafood certifications and we talk about ratings. So MSC is a seafood certification, Monterey Bay Aquarium is a rating. And it's important, I think, to understand the difference between the two, because they're really talking about two different things. Just a, a little guy. Right? <laughs> That's Pickles. He comes in That's, and out sometimes. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> awesome. And I saw a little ginger cat behind you earlier. <laughs> Love it. So rating system, like the Seafood Watch program, it focuses on sort of population or or species level data, I should say. Whereas a certification, as I mentioned before, is really focused on a specific stock of fish, a specific group of boats that catch those fish. So it's much more specific, whereas species level data is much, you know, it's, it's great for raising awareness and having a broad understanding of, you know, whether this fish is you know, if its population is healthy or not, but it's not quite the same as very specific data that we're looking at when we're looking at a certified stock of fish. So that's, that's I think, one thing to note, but it, it can be really, it can be really difficult. And it's asking a lot of servers to know, you know, if it's farmed, if it's wild, how it was caught, you know, so I think mm-hmm. it's important to be asking those questions, because especially when it gets back to the manager, it could be, it, they can be aware that this is something that consumers right. and diners care about, but it can still be different. And I think, you know, there's a lot of questions also about wild versus farmed and, you know, which one is better. And truthfully, there's been so many advances in in aquaculture that, you know, it used to be that aquaculture was like off limits. Don't don't eat farm fish. It's, you know, it's bad. And that's just not the case anymore. And, you know, while certainly there are, you know, there are practices out there that aren't great, for the most part, aquaculture is really such an important, you know, contributor to food security and to seafood consumption. And there are certifications out there that are looking specifically at farmed fish, like the Aquaculture Stewardship Council, which is um, our sister organization. So th- I don't think I answered your question because it is very complicated. But I mean, as a general rule of thumb, you know, lower on the food chain is generally help better for you and better for the ocean as well. You know, those are the really hardworking, you know, little guys like mussels and oysters and and that type of thing. And anytime you can get lower on the food chain, it's generally healthier for you and generally, generally healthier for the ocean too. So it's, it's hard. There's a lot of decisions and a lot of questions you have to make when you're looking at a menu and see what's involved. Are there any like broad recommendations you can give us for stuff to eat or not to eat when going to a seafood restaurant? Like I know you talked about lower on the food chain just now, but I've heard that like if you get shrimp pretty much from like any fast food or, or restaurant, unless it's, you know, like a farm to table type place that it's, it's done with trawling, which like, I guess just under, it, it, which I guess just like rips up the ocean floor. Do you have any sort of like, is that, well, is that true? And then do you have sort of broad recommendations on things that are better to eat or that you should avoid? Yeah, I think generally speaking, again, the lower on the food chain, generally the better. When it comes to shrimp, that is, that's definitely one that, you know, unless there's a certification or unless you're looking at the Monterey Bay Aquarium guide, you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky one to make sure Mm -hmm. that you're not sort of 
contributing to any environmental problems by eating it. That's a really, really difficult one. A lot of the shrimp that we consume in the U.S. does come from abroad. And so it's it's a hard one to really know for sure sort of what the situation is, whether, you know, it's farmed, whether it's wild, whether it's been done in a way that's environmentally sustainable. But, you know, having said that, there are definitely U.S. shrimp that are doing great. You know, for example, on the West Coast, there's Oregon pink shrimp. Those are the little guys, not like the big guys, but there is a certified Oregon shrimp fishery. So you're, you're probably not going to see that label, the MSC mm-hmm. label, or even the Aquaculture Stewardship Council label, label on a menu because, you know, most of it's just, it's tricky for restaurants to, to get involved in the program, but it's also, it's our, fo- our focus is mostly on retail and that supply chain. So it's, it's a little bit trickier. It's tricky to answer that question. <laughs> I think I'll answer yeah. that. I know it's, it's always very complicated. Yeah. Um, so is. you, you mentioned uh, farm fishing, and that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about because I always always heard. Well, I first started like buying farm fish, and then I heard you know it's bad, and then I started like you said seeing the the sustainably farmed Atlantic salmon at Whole Foods. So I was wondering how sustainable is that? Like, is that is that one of the better aquaculture practices? And can you explain to people like what's bad with with farming fish to begin with? Yeah, certainly. So when it comes to farming shrimp, you know, there's really two options or when it comes to aquaculture, there's really two options. It can be land-based or it can be sort of ocean-based. With shrimp, I know a lot of the concerns in the past have been a lot of the land that was previously mangroves were ripped up in order to farm shrimp. And, you know, mangroves are such important habitat for the ocean and for, you know, for for fish to grow and, and other animals to grow. So, you know, removing that habitat is just so damaging in order to, to grow shrimp. So that, from that perspective, it's not great. And then you asked about salmon and farm salmon versus wild salmon. The, the, you know, there was, as I mentioned before, there really have been such great advances in farming seafood in the past. And what you have to sort of think about is, is what is the sort of environment or the condition that it's grown in, but also what is the animal eating? What is the fish eating? Because that's really where you need to think about what goes into producing you know, whatever it is, one pound of fish or whatever it is that I'm eating. And we talk about this in, in farming as well, you know, when it comes to beef, you know, that's something that really requires a lot of input in order to get something out of it. And so when you're thinking about farm salmon, you really need to think about how much feed, we call it the feed conversion ratio, what goes into say one pound of fish, which is, you know, a lot of fish feed. And a lot of that fish feed is smaller fish lower on the food chain that comes out of the ocean. And so that's really sort of what you need to think about. You know, this is not something that I expect consumers to think about whatsoever, but just sort of from an environmental and sustainability standpoint, that's what we think about when it comes to, you know, is uh, is the feed sustainable? Is the way that um, it's being farmed or, or raised sustainable? So those are really important things to, to think about. And there a lot of Atlantic salmon fisheries are doing great in terms of their their farming and their certification. And again, the ASC is a great resource to take a look at that. I should point out MSC is wild fish only. You know, we, we're, we're covering wild fish, also lakes and rivers and stuff like that, but we don't look at farm fish, but there's a, a lot of great resources out there for that. Have you seen populations rebound after they got the MSC certification? We have a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it, we can't really say they got the certification and mm-hmm. then they rebounded and because partly because of how the MSC is designed and that they need to 
sort of meet the standard in terms of you know the populations in order to get the certification. But there there's a couple of great examples out there. West Coast brownfish that was a species actually it was declared a federal disaster I think in the 80s and that was one that was really in poor shape but with a lot of hard work from fishermen and NGOs and and local groups they were able to come back and rebound the fishery, really get it to a place where it was healthy and then get MSC certified. So we've seen that in a couple of different situations where it's really like, you know, working really hard. I mean, the fishermen and, and the people that work on the water are the ones that are doing all the hard work to get the fisheries, you know, healthy, and then they can apply for certification. So we've, we've seen that with a number of different fisheries around the world. One of them is Chilean sea bass, which, you know, has was a delicacy at a lot of restaurants and, and supermarkets mm-hmm. and people just love to eat it and it, there was a lot of illegal fishing happer, happening in that fishery for a long time so there they really one basically one boat or a set of boats really worked super hard to make sure that the fishery was in a place where there wasn't illegal fishing and then a couple of other boats followed suit and so the fishery now is in a very comfortable place it is MSC certified so you really see sort of this this working really hard to get the fishery to a place where it is it can be considered sustainable and then having certification which is icing on the cake it's not you know mm-hmm. it's not really it's not the determinant of sustainability. It's really the icing on the cake. Is there any like one species that you think like people should totally avoid no matter what? Um, or a few, well, <laughs> like some really bad ones. If you go at the restaurant, you shouldn't get. Um, Is it, isn't swordfish one of them? I thought swordfish was. Swordfish, I think it's also one of these that, you know, was sort of in a bad place. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting you say that actually, because I used to work for an organization that ran campaigns and one of them was to stop getting chefs to use swordfish and there was you know this time where swordfish was in a really bad place and so a lot of chefs came together and said we're not going to be serving swordfish Mm -hmm. anymore because it's it's not doing well the populations are, are poor what is so important to know about fish and fish populations is that they are incredibly resilient and so again a lot of work you know, was put into place, management protocols, requirements, and so forth. And depending on the population that you're looking at, you know, swordfish is okay to eat. It is healthy. I know there's a population off of the East Coast. Actually, we have a partner down in Florida that fishes for, for swordfish that is certified. So it's, it's so hard to say sort of as a species Mm -hmm. level, what is okay to eat and what's not okay to eat. Not a simple answer. And I know that doesn't make it easier on consumers, but yeah, I can't think of anything right now. Well, like shark fin soup is probably like really bad. You should not get that. Oh, really? What's the, (laughs) what's the no part? By the way, if you hear some background noise, it's raining outside at my house. And I did walk my dog this morning. I I have a youngish dog. He's about a year old and I can tell he's in the sink trying to like oh my, get, oh my gosh <laughs> if you hear so little funny. crashes in the background he's wreaking havoc that's great <laughs> well i i mean i don't think i've ever seen shark fin soup in the u.s on menus but maybe like, well i i wouldn't be surprised if it if it was like in new york city i'm sure there's restaurants that you know they have they have everything in new york and yeah. <laughs> la probably yeah yeah it's it's possible you know it's it, there are some shark populations that, you know, there are there are fisheries for them. So, for example, dogfish, spiny dogfish is a species of shark that's caught, caught off the Atlantic coast here in the U.S. That doesn't end up in shark fin soup, but it is a shark. It is consumed. It does end mm-hmm. up in a lot of fish and chips in Europe. So 
sort of this, this yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I think this is something that people naturally do is make blanket statements about, you know, X fish yeah. or X species or whatever it might be. And it's not that black and white. That's, that's, I think, part of the difficulty. And so, okay, well, talking about black and white, I have not watched, it's sea spiracy, right? That's mm-hmm. what I, I always want to say sea piracy. Oh. <laughs> wasn't, I'm not sure. I was going to watch it, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm dreading it because I just feel like it's going to be really sad. But I know that it's trending and I see a lot of scientists, a lot of my friends who are marine biologists, that they are not happy with the, the documentary and that some of them, I think, have said that M- MSC has been painted in a bad light. Can you can you talk about what that documentary got wrong, what biases they had, and maybe what they got right too? Yeah, it's I feel like I watched it ages ago now, but you know, <laughs> there's been so much written about it that it's hard not to sort of, you know, get pulled into all of that conversation yeah. about the film. And I will say that my favorite thing about Seaspiracy is that it got people talking. And yeah. that is so important because it, you know, people are having productive conversations about what is sustainable, what does it mean to, you know, catch fish in a way that is good and good for people and good for the planet. So it did get a few things right. I mean, like the fact that our oceans are in crisis, but it got a lot wrong. And importantly, I think the the most important thing is that it was very wrong about the claim that there's no such thing as sustainable fishing. I mean, you know, that's exactly the type of thing that MSC was set up to to deal with, to, to manage, to fight. And I think it is really interesting that the film director made it sound like a lot of the issues that he discovered in the film, like ocean plastics, overfishing, bycatch, human rights abuses, that these are things that haven't been talked about before, which is unfortunate and I think incredibly damaging. It's really damaging to the very many hardworking people who've been working on these issues for a long time because people who are watching this film for the first time are like, oh my gosh, you know, I had no idea this was a thing and, and no one's been talking about it and therefore it is a conspiracy, you know, leading up to its name. So what's problematic is that he attempts to claim that the solution to these issues is to stop eating uh, seafood entirely, which is, as we talked about, incredibly simplistic and to a very complex problem. So that is just, it's very damaging to people who have dedicated their lives to finding lasting solutions to these issues. And the MSC, you know, in the film, the MSC was referenced several times and the filmmaker attempted to, to interview us. He showed up at our offices in, in London and tried to interview us, which, you know, he just showed up at the door. You know, a lot of people are giving us a lot of flack for not having taken the interview. And, and I certainly understand that, but there's a lot of issues with that too. He, he approached us under a fake name. And so that is unreasonable, I think, from a journalistic Mm -hmm. perspective. But if you also, you know, I haven't, I know that you haven't watched the film, but a lot of people have come out after having seen the film come to light and said that they felt very threatened, they felt bullied, they felt like their words were taken out of context, misrepresented. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's both, it's two sides of the same coin, you know, we could have taken the interview and, and had a lot of problems that way. And we didn't take the interview and we have a lot of problems that way too. So, you know, it, it did, I think, show MSC in a poor light, not just for that, but for how it showed us and the use of our label and how several or a scientist in the film didn't believe that the, the label was worth anything. But, you know, we, we truly believe that 
we can see the impacts of our work being done a little bit to what we were talking about before with, you know, fisheries coming into the program, their, their populations are great, but also from the market side of things where, you know, more brands are getting on board and they want to show to their consumers how important it is to have third party validation. You know, it's not something that we're just putting a label on and calling mm-hmm. it a day. You know, there's a lot of checks and balances that go into it behind the scenes and it is third party, you know, MSC doesn't certify any of these fisheries. It's all done through an independent organization or assessor or auditor. And they're the ones that take a look at everything to say, does this meet the requirements of of the standard? They audit every single year. If an issue comes up where, you know, something doesn't look right, like maybe the population has dropped, or maybe there are, you know, it's unclear if there's environmental impacts, a surveillance audit can come up. And that means, you know, it's basically something that wasn't planned. And then every five years, the fishery has to go through recertification. So it's it's not like it's not a one and done. It's not let's just put a label on it and call it a day. It really is. There's a lot of processes that goes into it. Yeah, I think that it's a very similar situation with palm oil. I did one YouTube video and I think one. I actually don't think I did a podcast initially. I think I just did one YouTube video initially on palm oil and sustainable palm oil because I was pretty shocked. You know, you hear all these messages, avoid palm oil. It's killing orangutan habitat. And when I went to the conservation biology conference, there was a table from the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. And they're like, you should actually get sustainable palm oil or make sure the products that you buy are sustainable palm oil. And I naturally don't buy that much palm oil because I don't eat a lot of processed foods, but basically that you shouldn't be avoiding it. And also a lot of our products have palm oil too, but it's really easy to say, this product is causing destruction and even the sustainable does cause environmental damage. But if you think about the fallout, if everyone switched from palm oil to something else, the environmental implications can actually be worse. And then if you think about, as you mentioned in the seafood industry or the fisheries industry, if people don't have jobs, like what are they going to turn to instead? It could cause worse environmental damage. So it's much better to, to invest in, in structures that, that protect the species and protect the system rather than abolish the whole system, which I also think is unrealistic too. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's just, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of, like to your point, a lot of the criticism we received in the film, it's only reinforced the importance of the work that we do. So we've heard from so many people following the film that are concerned about overfishing or bycatch or ocean health and fish populations. And these are exactly the same issues that we're concerned about um, and want to work to improve. And that's, I think, exactly what you're talking about. Like, let's make the systems better. Let's not abolish them. And so you, just to change topics, so you, you have a career in science communication. That's your, that's your main role. Can you, we have, cause we have a lot of people on this podcast who listen for career advice. Can you talk a little bit about your career path and, and how you got this job and what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, sure. Let's see. I'll start, I guess, with undergrad. I got my, my BA in environmental studies at Pace University. I was originally a psych major and I, I worked on campus. So this is in, in New York, just North of New York city. And they had a farm on campus and also a wild, like a wildlife um, rehabilitation center and environmental center. I don't, I don't know how common these are, but it felt very unique. And I felt very lucky to be there because I got to basically care for animals as my part-time job while I was oh, wow. doing classes. And, you know, it was everything from like reptiles to like birds of prey. So it was, it was just really incredible experience and a lot of fun as an animal lover. 
And I think that's when I realized, you know, I was studying psychology and I was like, hold on, I can have an, a career that involves like doing things with animals, like hanging out with animals, mm-hmm. like writing, talking about animals. And then that was like, that's all it took. I switched to environmental studies. And so, you know, that was sort of, I was all in at that point. From there, I got my master's degree in natural resources and sustainable development at American University here in DC. It was, it's a really cool program, very multidisciplinary, which is, is definitely a tenant of my of my career. You know, it's it's not science, it's not just communications, it's not policy. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's it's across the board. But the program was cool because we got to spend a year in Costa Rica, and that gave us a lot of opportunity to do field work. And I had the opportunity to work on a turtle refuge for a summer and really sort of like live and work with the people that are protecting turtles. And so that was really incredible. And when I came back to DC to start my career. You know, I was I wasn't sure which way to go because, you know, I had this multidisciplinary background. And so I wasn't sure, like, especially in D.C., you know, you sort of expect all you'll end up in policy. But I actually had an internship that made me realize I really don't want to go into policy. And I got a job offer that was in communications. And it was actually with the the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And at that point in my in my sort of career and my studies, I had already decided that I was really passionate about ocean issues and specifically seafood issues. And so move into to the Association of Zoos and Aquariums was a bit of a a stepping stone for me because I got Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about ocean issues and ocean conservation issues, but more broadly conservation in general, wildlife conservation more broadly. And but what it did really importantly for me is it solidified the communications aspects of my of my career. So I had an awesome opportunity to sort of learn on the job and like learn the ways of communication in the conservation field. And so from there, I, I continued on into several other NGOs that focused on ocean conservation and ocean um, and seafood issues as well. And I took a little bit of a detour and worked in sustainable cocoa, which is when you were talking about palm oil, that made me think mm-hmm. of it because it's there's so many issues related there. And it was very interesting to me that a lot of the issues that were happening in cocoa were also happening in seafood. And so it was very translatable and transferable sort of roles and topics that that I was covering in that job. But and then I landed at the MSC. I think I've been there for just under four years now. But what I think is important is it, you know, I did an internship in, in policy and I didn't like it. And that was so important for me to understand what I didn't want to do. You know, I think it's it's important for you to understand what you want to do, but it's as important to know, you know, policy is not for you or, you know, you're just not the strongest writer. So that might not be a good fit either. But so trying those different things out for me was very important. And some people know what they want to do and they go right for it, which is amazing. That wasn't my case, but it was good for me to sort of understand that and, and try them out. Why didn't you like policy? I don't know many people in policy, so I'm curious what you didn't like about it. I think it, it was it was hard for me to wrap my head around, partly because I, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I grew up traveling around all over the world because my dad is a diplomat for the Dutch government. And wow. so I... I think like understanding the U.S. government was was like an added element that was hard for me to wrap my head around. So that for me just wasn't something that I was super interested in. And, and I found it very confusing and difficult for, for me to want to sort of pursue that career in conservation or sustainability. Okay. And what do you do in your job? On a, on a, I'm sure every day is different, but what are what are some of the main responsibilities that you have or cool things you get to do? Oh, well, I'll start with the cool things that I get to do because <laughs> that's that's a lot of fun. Two years ago, I got to travel to Bristol Bay, Alaska with a film crew, and we basically spent a week out there, you know, 
talking with fishermen, capturing video, capturing photos to try to connect people with the food that's on their plate. So we got some incredible shots at a processing facility. We talked to to the people there. We talked to the fishermen. We talked to like fourth generation, or I can't remember what generation he was, but an indigenous fisherman who had fished in Bristol Bay his entire life. We talked about climate change. We talked about, you know, population patterns, fishing gear methods. I mean, it it was a really incredible opportunity, not just from a personal perspective, but also Mm -hmm. because we we made basically a series of very short films that we're using on digital, um, our digital channels to try to really connect people with where their seafood comes from. Because unlike any other protein, it's very, it's, you know, you can't just go to the ocean and see where your fish comes from. Like with this whole farm to table movement, sure. Like let's talk about the farm. Let's talk about the people on the farm. Let's talk about the animals. You can't do that with fish. And so we're really trying to like spark a connection between, you know, how, you know, the fish that people are eating and, and where it comes from. So that was a really, that was a really incredible opportunity, not to mention, you know, being out in Alaska is such a unique experience. So that's, one aspect of my job that is not something that happens a lot, but on a day-to-day basis, uh, a lot of it is sort of taking opportunities like this, you know, having a mm-hmm. conversation about what it is that MSC is and does, you know, talking with journalists, thinking about the, what story we can tell, you know, pitching that out to journalists and the media, but it's also working with my colleagues to get people excited about sustainable seafood and certified seafood and, and sort of what it is and why it's, why it's important. It's also developing copy for social media mm-hmm. or approving photos to be used on social media. So it's, it's really across the board, but it could also be writing a blog, writing a press release, writing a pitching a press release. It's, it's all over the place. Going back to what you said about connecting to what people are eating. I actually, I agree with you. Like there is a farm to table movement and people are a little bit more connected, but I think overall people are like super disconnected. Like I'm sure kids don't understand chicken nuggets are like from a chicken, (laughs) but I always think it's really funny in a restaurant. If you order a whole fish, like sometimes they'll tell you like it comes with the head and it's like, like, and like people like won't order it if it comes with the head. And it's like, where do you think it comes from? Like, it's still, it's still, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. It's, it's, you know, culturally, it's just not something that we're used to in the U.S. And as I mentioned, I didn't grow up in the U.S. And my, so my dad is Dutch, but my mother's Filipino. And that is very standard, you know, and I will be totally honest with you. The head is the best part, you know, the Mm -hmm. cheeks are, there's so much delectable meat there. And, you know, if you're probably going to gross out some of your, your listeners, but the eyeballs are also very tasty. So yeah, that uh, grosses me out a little bit, but I am a big believer of like eating everything and, and not or eating what we can and not wasting anything. But Absolutely. Because if you think about it, like from an environmental standpoint, what's happening to that head? Is it just going in the trash? That's food waste, right? So I think like culturally, you know, we have to think about these types of things too, when it comes to wanting to be more sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Those are all the questions that I had. Do you have any last minute thoughts you want to leave with our audience or any takeaways, any major takeaways? Well, I really enjoyed talking with you. So thanks for the invitation. I, you know, I think We talked about this already, but our food choices are Mm -hmm. so personal and, you know, there's so many things that go into it. You know, there could be dietary reasons or cultural Mm -hmm. reasons for the food that you're eating. I I support a vegan diet. I think, you know, it's important for us to think about our impact of our food choices. What I don't agree with is making blanket statements about, you know, what we should or shouldn't be eating. And I think it's such a personal choice, but it's important for us to be thinking about 
our environmental impact when it comes to the food that we choose to eat. I think also it's, it's kind of a hard line to navigate, but maybe instead of like shaming people, I think, I think so many people dislike veganism because I think there's this, this sense of like them looking down on you and them thinking that they're better than you. And like you said, like people don't necessarily have the, the dietary latitude to eat what they want. Like some people are really restricted or like you said, culture plays a big role and we can't just like look down at our nose and say to people like, you should do this and and you should do that. So I like to think of more of like, you know, asking people to do what they can, where they can and like lead by example, like be excited about getting a sustainable food choice and maybe advertising them on social media instead of saying like, don't do this and, and don't do that because that tends to turn people off. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, there's been research done about this, you know, leading with the positive makes a big difference rather than shaming people. So I think there's, there's a lot to be said about that too. Yeah. The only the thing I struggle with is like with social media, when people post pictures of things that are bad for animals. So like, for example, like elephants in Thailand, like those sanctuaries and stuff like that. I do know that, or I do think that shaming has helped out a little bit because like Instagram has banned certain t- hashtags and stuff like that, or, or gives warnings with certain hashtags. So I do think maybe not shaming, but like with cultural norms, like cultural norms have a really big impact on how people act and behave and what choices they make. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Thank you so much. And I'll let you get to finishing your, your day. It's the end of the day now. So I'll let you get to get going home now. Great. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. Thank you again, Jackie, for coming onto the show. I'm sorry I got weird at the end. You could definitely tell it was the end of the day for me. Usually I talk a lot better. Anyway, uh, you can find Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Marks. That is J-A-C-K-I-E-M-A-R-K-S. And I hope you learned a lot from this episode and are able to make some more sustainable purchases. As Jackie pointed out that MSC food is affordable for lots of different people so you can get it at Walmart and I've definitely seen it in other regular grocery stores outside of Whole Foods. So let me know what you're eating, what what changes you've made to your diet to become more sustainable and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the two. And before I go, I just wanted to mention that at one point we talked about shark fin soup and the sustainability around it. And I just wanted to mention that I'm really against shark fins to soup, regardless of the sustainability issues, just simply because the fins are cut off and the body is discarded. I just think it's a really wasteful activity. So I didn't want to by any means seem like that I was promoting it or that I was okay with it. So thanks guys so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing day. If you liked this episode, care about wildlife, care about conservation, or know somebody who is interested in going into wildlife biology careers, please share this episode. You can also rate and review my podcast that really helps people find it. My goal is to spread messages of conservation and kindness for wildlife and to help people navigate wildlife biology careers. Rating and reviewing my podcast really helps other people find it.
If you have questions or show ideas, you can find me at fancyscientist.com. My social media handles are at fancyscientist. On Instagram, there's an underscore between fancy and scientist. You can also send an email to hello at fancyscientist.com. If you're an aspiring wildlife biologist, ecologist, or zoologist, you can join me every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Facebook Live, where I answer different career questions. You can also ask me questions on the spot. I'm here for you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I am so grateful for you. I hope you have an amazing day. Be kind to animals and be kind to each other.